I was back in the, my office having a nice conversation with a friend, and they go, you got a minute? And I came running out, and I'm a little disheveled and discombobulated, but I'm good. Uh, I was in Las Vegas uh, late last night, uh, and I won't, no, I'm kidding. I, I, went, <laughs> I went and officiated a wedding uh, for my brother-in-law's daughter, uh, and so... Our family came, came to the wedding, and they're all still there, and that's why Tony's leading worship and Micah's in Vegas, so pray for him. Um, we had a wonderful time, a, a great opportunity to minister. Um, it's just some amazing things happened. We were at dinner one night at Maggio's, and the waiter, his name was Peter, and he, I go, you got an interesting accent. He goes, where am I from? And I had to think about it, and I, I couldn't dialing in. I knew it was Eastern Bloc country. So I took the other waiter and I go, Hey, where's Peter from? He said, <laughs> he said the Czech Republic. And then Peter came, came back. I go, I think you're from the Czech Republic. He goes, no one's ever guessed that. <laughs> and I said, well, Peter, I didn't guess it. I, I guess the other guy. And, uh, and then as the night kind of wound down, I took Peter aside and I, I said, um, I said, you're not wearing a mask. The other guys are, is it required? He says, no. He said, I, they're just stupid. Um, <laughs> but, but we began talking and, and, uh, and I said, you know, I started walking him through and tell him what I did. And he's not a man of faith. And I said, do you know what your name means? He says, no, I don't. I said, it means rock. And Matthew 16, 18 in the, in the new Testament of, of the Bible, uh, Jesus said to Peter, um, when, when Peter confessed that he was the Christ, the son of the living God, it was a, a declaration. And, and Jesus looked at him in front of all the other disciples and he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And upon this rock, Peter, I'll build my ecclesia, public square. And I went through this whole teaching and I told him that from the moral law comes civil law and what you're facing is a, um, the, the world is awakening to what happens to freedom when God is removed. And I said, you know, Peter, you have conservative principles, but you don't know the source. And he, he started getting choked up. And he said, how do I fix that? I go, you got to go to church. And, uh, and, and, he, and I gave him the, the, the uh, website for us. And I said, look around, find one. I'm not sure about Vegas. We're sin abounds. <laughs> Grace abounds even more. Just look around, bud. You'll find one. And, and we had the greatest talk. I prayed for him. And he was crying when I left. And I, I just thought, Lord, you have the uncanny ability wherever you are to just share these principles. And everybody's longing for freedom. They just don't know where to find it. They know it's been taken. And this last week, I had the privilege. I got a call. Uh, Charlie said, hey, uh, you want to come to Calvary Chapel, uh, Chino Hills? I'll be speaking with Jack Hibbs can you pick me up at the FBO, the airport? I'll be flying in. And I said, yeah, sure, Charlie, I'll pick you up. And we went there and we sat down, had a great conversation with Pastor Jack. And I was in the, the green room waiting for them to all go out. And I was just a, you know, I, I was trailer behind an RV. I, I go where I'm towed. And, uh, and then Charlie went out and, and the crowd was packed to capacity. Um, and then they were in the gymnasium and outside. There probably 10,000 people. And he went through a remarkable presentation on the Great Reset. Does anyone know what that is? Yeah. Uh, you know what, let's do this. Raise your hand if you do know what it is. Wow, God speak rocks. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, for those of you who didn't raise your hand, you'll know after today. 
I'm going to help you. Uh, but I was so moved by the presentation because it was formulating and putting together some thoughts that Michelle and I had been uh, discussing about really what God wants us to do as a congregation. And the Bible says the study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And, and, and as a, uh, an under-shepherd, I, I want folks to be equipped to rightly divide truth and to see the horizon and, and to make decisions in wisdom. Uh, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. And when the wicked rule, the people groan. A lot of groaning going on right now. That State of the Union, wasn't that just a <laughs> remarkable mess? I don't know that he knew he was there. I, I was, it was awful. And my dad had Alzheimer's for 15 years. I don't know if the president had, but there's something going on. And, and, I, and I look at this. And then here's the other one. Uh, when I went to the Council on National Policy down in Dana Point, um, I had the privilege to pick, pick up Victor Davis Hanson. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm blessed to do that. Uh, so landed in Hanford. Uh, he lives there on a farm that's been in the family since, well, they homesteaded it actually. And he's held on to it. It's, he's like the last holdout. He's got a gate around it because it's gotten bad. There's MS-13 and stuff. He's like, I'm not leaving. I go, you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't say that. But as he was coming on the plane, uh, I said, Dr. Hansen, uh, I took a class from you. I went to Fresno State. And he goes, I remember you. I go, oh, God. <laughs> he said, you were an athlete. I said, I was. He goes, you didn't do very well. I go, no, I didn't. Uh, it was, it was on Greek mythology, but I did tell him, I said, I had just become a Christian and I had never read a book to its completion until uh, I became a Christian. And, and your class and two others were instrumental in kind of formulating me and preparing me for where I am today. And I just wanted to say thank you. I, I said, maybe I didn't do well, but you, you got a hold of my head and my heart. And I don't know where he is spiritually, but he has a grasp of Christian principles. And uh, a family friend growing up was Admiral James Stockdale. Uh, he would come to our Christmas party. My parents were good friends with him. He was the most decorated, uh, I guess, veteran of Vietnam, Medal of Honor. He was in the Hanoi Hilton, the prisoner of war camp in North Vietnam. Uh, his leg w was broken. And so we'd have to, at the cocktail party, uh, it, every year my parents on their anniversary, December 27th, we'd do a big party. And, you know, you had to be invited to the McCoy party. Uh, it's really special because, you know, we're on the book of who's who. Uh, no. <laughs> but we'd have to put him in a chair uh, where his leg had to be out so people wouldn't trip over it. So, because it, you know, he had, it was broken and he had to set it. And it was, he was in a lot of, uh, it just the way he had been beaten in the Hanoi Hilton. But he was a stoic. Uh, he wasn't a believer. And a man who had endured such torture was able to endure it and lead others with just Greek philosophy, absent of the presence of God. Uh, I think, you know, Sybil Stockdale had a love for the Lord. And I, I don't know where he ended up, but he was a remarkable man. And I knew if I brought that up with Dr. Hansen, it would facilitate a conversation, which it did. And I just kept inserting a scripture in the process of that, because that's what I do. Uh, and, and we had a great conversation on the flight into Orange County. And I was looking forward to flying back with him. Uh, but then I got the call that uh, Matt Winnerstrom had died in the motorcycle accident. 
And so the pilot, bless his heart, was, uh, I got the call from Craig, his dad, and he said, are you in town? I said, no, Craig, I'm not. And I, Pastor Tony went, but uh, the pilot was able to get me back into Camarillo and be at the crash site. From the time I got the call to being at the crash site, it was like 45 minutes. That's a God thing. I was so blessed by it. Yeah. Keep, keep the Winterstrom's in prayer. They're doing remarkably well. I mean, this young man survived the borderline shooting, uh, saw his friends killed. Um, and there's a video of him saying, I know when I die where I'm going. And he had the assurance of salvation. Uh, and young kids, they go through struggles like old kids do. Um, and, and you know what the amazing thing is? Even in the midst of our failure, our shortcomings, the Bible says, he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. The Bible says, he, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. I've told you this so that you may know you have eternal life. Now, I've always contended with some of the folks within Christendom who think you can lose your salvation. If you can lose eternal life, then it was never eternal to begin with. Are you working with me on this one? I don't have eternal life because of what I've done. I have eternal life because of what he's done. I received it. There's been seasons in my Christian walk where if I was being put on trial for being a Christian, I probably wouldn't have enough evidence to defend myself. Can I get an amen from anybody? <laughs> but in those moments, God is faithful. It, it, it says, he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. And the completion is, Matt's on the other side. He's in glory. All those image, images of that awful night uh, where he saw his friends killed and the brutality of, of the blood and just the misery of that night in the borderline. That's all gone. And we're still on this cracked marble uh, and living in a world with systemic sin where mankind is the preservation of it. The Bible says that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is the restrainer of evil. And we've, we've neglected God. We've walked away and we're watching as evil seems to be just navigating itself like a weed into every area of our culture. And then people are awakening and, and people are waking up and becoming stronger. And, and I, I see this and in the times of trial and adversity, I look at us and we're, we're anti-fragile. It means that, that, that the more you throw at us, the stronger we get. And I, I look at all of you and I'm just so moved and so blessed and, and I know that's happening with Craig and, and Laurel and their family. Keep them in prayer. They're going to get through this. But um, yeah, as a congregation, we, we bless them with a large sum of money to help them with the funeral costs because we take care of our own. And, and we, we look at this community. We love this community. We're not super spreaders. We didn't open because we wanted to kill people. We, we knew the data. We studied it. We brought doctors up. We did the live streams. We, we went through all the stuff. We, we knew the Diamond Princess. We knew how the virus worked. We knew it had a 99.7% survival rate. We knew that viruses do what viruses do. And, and you, you wear that mask. It, you know, it's like throwing sand at a cha chain link fence. If you feel comfortable wearing it, that's great. But remember, you're a human being, not a plant. You don't know what to do with carbon dioxide. You need oxygen to breathe. And it's also a form of submission. We're, at, we're watching speech impediments occur with the younger children now because of this. 
They're being indoctrinated in submission, muzzling them. You know, just Exodus, uh, Exodus 3, when Moses sees this burning bush, and he, he's, he's, he's 80 years old, and his skin is leathered from the Middle Eastern sun as he's just been with, with goats and sheep for 40 years. At one point, zero to 40, he was second in command of all of Egypt. He was, he was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was handsome, the scripture says. And then he, he kills the Egyptian when these two Hebrews are fighting. And they, they, they throw him under the bus and he has to run. He has to get out of, out of Egypt. And he, and he runs for his life and that's where he ends up in the backside of the Midian desert. And he's, he started as a somebody. And then from 40 to 80, he became a nobody. And at 80, he just thinks life's over. What can God do with an 80-year-old leathered man? And he sees a burning bush. It's not being consumed by the fire. And he's thinking, did I eat something bad? <laughs> Was it pizza from the night before? I don't know. And, the, and then it speaks to him take your sandals off for the ground upon which you stand as holy ground. And, and he, God commands him to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses asked God, he says, who do I tell them has sent me? What's your name? I mean, that's gutsy. You're asking the God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand. That means from his middle finger to his thumb, all the universe. I mean, it, we're 93 million miles away from the sun and that's just the sun, that's not even a galaxy. And there's so many galaxies, it's, it's mind-boggling. Even if you traveled at the speed of light, it would take thousands of years. And he says, what's your name? And, and he, God tells him his personal name. Jews don't, Jews don't even say it, it's so holy. It's what they call a tetragrammaton. It's, it's four consonants, uh, Y-W-H-W, Yahweh. It, and and, and the, the way that the words come together, Hebrew scholars say, it's the sound of a human being breathing. The first two consonants is inhaling, and the second two consonants is exhaling. And atheists, every time they breathe, declaring that God doesn't exist, they're saying his name. <laughs> I thought that's kind of cool, you know? But then you have an unelected official, Fauci, and by the way, what's happened with him? <laughs> They're getting ready to throw him under the bus. Watch, you'll see. But, but he comes out and he, he, he controls the breathing of our children, muzzles them. No science to it. I was in Chicago and the woman's yelling at me because all these high school kids are, are rebelling against the mask mandates. Not the adults, no. They're too scared. The children are doing it for themselves because no one else is leading. And we went out and did a rally with thousands of them. And, and, and this woman has her children and she's masked them and she's mocking. And I said, you know, I can't contend with you. I said, a fanatic doesn't change their mind and they won't change the subject. You're just yelling at me. She was cussing at me and she was doing gestures, telling me I'm number one. But I just looked at her children and I thought, 
is this really about health or is it about an ideology? And the anger, and you're wondering where it's all coming from. It's all spiritual. It's a battle. Mark my words, it's a battle. And as, as I sat through Charlie and Jack talking and, and all these thoughts came together, the Lord, especially through the anchored reading that we've been doing, uh, put a message on my heart and I pray it ministers to you. I'm excited about it. Uh, but before we do that, I do wanna recognize somebody. Uh, they oversee one of the divisions at Turning Point and it's one that I'm affiliated with, Turning Point Faith, where we're trying to reach churches across the country. Matt Hay and his wife are here. Stand up, you guys. I, I, I know how hard uh, you have to work at Turning Point, and I know what a taskmaster Charlie is. He, yeah. No, he's, he's a good manager. But uh, putting together an organization that's never existed before, and, and Matt came out of ministry, and now he's in a secular uh, organization, which you, know, you got Mormons and atheists and agnostics and putting together a faith organization. What were you thinking, by the way? I just, yeah, yeah. So I said, why don't you come on out and let's have some vacation. So we treated them to a little getaway. And look, they look happy already. It's just really sweet. So they're going to be with us. Uh, how long are you guys going to be here? About four or five days. All right. And you brought all your kids? Yeah, 108 of them? Yeah. Okay. So, all right, here's what we're going to do. Um, if you have a Bible, uh, open up to the reading Psalm 31. If you don't have a Bible, these folks walking down the aisle will give you one. Psalm 31. Psalm 31. Before we stand, yod He, yod He is the first part of his name. And then it's um, this, this idea, uh, Vav He, yod He, Vad He. It's the breath of God. It's breathing in the human in, in the human body. And, and this is Exodus 3. God gives us life. It says he created us from the dust of the earth and he breathed his spirit, his, his ruach into us. And we became human beings. And, and as ministers, you, you, you conclude a, a, a funeral service, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. From the dust of the earth, we were created into the dust we return. Often people say, is it okay to cremate? That's okay. Every Sunday we go through that. It's a talking Bible. I'll do the talking. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but when you do a funeral, uh, you typically say, and people say, well, is, is cremation okay? Well, that's an Eastern kind of burial technique. Uh, in the Western t tradition, we honor the body. It's creating the image of God. And they say, well, if the body's burned, will, will they you know, be able to, you know, reanimate it. You know, I think God can do pretty much anything. Um, but it, it's more of, of honoring that which was created in the image of God. And it's, it's to honor God. And that's why we bury uh, in that capacity in Western tradition. 
I was uh, with my brother-in-law's daughter who was getting married, Kimberly, and uh, her now husband, Bobby, Bobby Soper. But they wanted to do the Greek Orthodox wedding before the Protestant one uh, because the Greek Orthodox wouldn't recognize anything I'm doing. Nobody does. It's all right. I... <laughs> and, and I went to the Greek Orthodox. And, and you know, with the Eastern Orthodox, the breakaway from the Roman Catholic Church in 1054, um, it, it, they broke away for good reason, similar to why Martin Luther and uh, the Protestant Reformation broke away from the Catholic Church. They, they did it back in 1054. And there's Orthodox churches, Serbian, Russian, and, and they have patriarchs. Theirs is in Constantinople. Um, and, and they've got tradition. And as I told Bobby, I said, you know, Tradition without education becomes ritual. You know, the idea of the, the woman, uh, she was cooking the Easter dinner for her family and she was just a newlywed and her mom was there and her grandmother was there and her great-grandmother was there. It was four generations. And she's following the family recipe and she's making the Easter ham and she's reading this, you know, yellowed recipe card and, uh, and, and she goes to prepare the ham. She cuts off the ends because that's what it says. And she turns to her mother and she says, why do we cut the ends off the ham? And she says, because that's what the recipe calls for. <laughs> she says, well, why are we doing that? That's good meat. She says, you know, I don't know. Let's go ask grandma. And they go to grandma and they go, why do we cut the ends off? Why does the recipe call us to cut off the ends? She goes, you know, I don't know. Let's go ask great grandma. And they go to great grandma and she's hard of hearing. Why do we cut the ends off the ham? What? Why do we cut the ends off the ham when we're preparing it? I don't know why you did it, but I did it because my pan was only this big. <laughs> but the Greek Orthodox Church saved the scriptures. They were, the, the tradition is what protected them in a world that wanted God's word destroyed. There was monastic aspects where they would hide in hills and protect the word of God. But what was fascinating is following that, you know, most of these original churches are now in Muslim realms of the world, especially the seven in the book of Revelation, hard to find them. But it wasn't until a guy by the name of, of Tyndale, William Tyndale, when he, he translated the very first English-speaking Bible. And the English language wasn't anything to speak of. It wasn't the, the language of the world. It wasn't the language of the British Empire. It was just a, a backwater segment of, of the de depleted and declining Roman Empire. And, you know, you had Scotsmen up there making musical instruments out of sheep intestines. And, <laughs> and the Welsh, they're odd bunch in the Irish. God invented whiskey to stop them from ruling the world. <laughs> but, but Tyndale translates from the original language of the Greek and the Hebrew into English. And it was the first time that the Bible was presented to mankind. And, and when you go into a Greek Orthodox church, there's stained glass windows. You don't see them here. There's no fanfare. We don't even have any, like, well, we have a cross. But that's about it. There's no paintings and, well, that's, they, they did that because no one knew how to read. And it was almost like this is the story in a picture book for you to look at while you're sitting there. 
And then they would do rituals to help you remember and they would take in all the senses of the human body. That's why they have incense because the olfactory sense is the number one sense for memory recollection, the sense of smell. And so you go through the, the liturgy and you go through the, you know, the Nicene Creed and, and you'd hear the repetitive nature of it and they would sing it and then they'd have the echo with the female voice and then the incense would affect you while you're listening to it and then you go home and you go, I think I got it. And you do it the next Sunday, the next Sunday. And they finally educated people who couldn't read by that process. Well, then it became tradition. And it's, it's now considered high church. And they wear the robes and they got everything means something. And the way they cross themselves and they walk around three times, the couple, and they switch the crowns. And you're like, I'd be done by now. You'd be on your way to the honeymoon if I was in charge. But I took it all in and I was moved by it. And I turned to Bobby and I said, you know, I, I, I like the fact that you, you see the tradition and you're educated and you know the meaning in it. It's not ritual to you. Their theology is solid. Orthodox means right teaching. And they do. They, they got solid teaching. Uh, the, the priest was pretty solid. The younger guy I thought was a little bit better. The other guy sounded like Krusty the cra cl uh, crown, uh, Clown. His, hey, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, really, but he was you know, nice guy, kind of. Um, and then we did that and it was great and they pronounced them husband and wife. So they're basically married. And, and so when it was my turn at four o'clock to do the service, uh, no icons, nothing. We were in a room off the hotel which has a casino attached. <laughs> all things are permissible, not all things are profitable. Uh, and, and so I officiated and, and I said, first of all, I just wanna recognize that they're married right now. I was willing to recognize what they wouldn't, wouldn't recognize for me. Like for my Catholic brothers and sisters who, when your parishes were shut, you came here. And, and we offer communion, right? And as we present communion to the body of Christ, uh, I don't, in, in accordance with what they call the apostolic authority, when I pray over the elements, they don't, it's not transubstantiation, they don't turn into the literal body and blood of Christ like they say it does in the Catholic church. We just pray over it. We think it's symbolic, not literal. And I, I see some of my Catholic brothers and sisters taking the communion. And, and I, I, I think to myself, that's, that's sweet. I'm blessed by that. And I know the Eucharist, what it means to Catholics. Uh, my family's Catholic. My sister, one time, she'd come up. She wouldn't take communion when it was offered. And I said, Nancy, why, why don't you take it? She said, well, Rob, you don't have the ability to do it to the apostolic authority. I said, oh, but your pedophile priest does? I said, Nancy, don't you think God can do it with her without me if he can do it with him? I mean, isn't it the Lord who does what he does? Don't we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that we're saved by grace through faith? It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should. I'm not a redheaded stepchild of the body of Christ. We endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You can relegate me to the back row. I'm okay with that. But a lot of your folks are coming to our church now because your priest wouldn't open theirs. And I said, you're welcome, by the way, to come. This is a home for refuge. We call it the island of misfit toys, and you're all welcome. But bottom line is, we lift up Christ. It's what he did. And, and, and as we went through this service and I shared with them, I said, you know, the two of you, Bobby, Kimberly, 
are willing to do for all of us what the church isn't. You're, you're expressing an endeavor to keep unity. We've divided over 2,000 years and come up with every reason why we can't be together. And there are some good reasons to divide. Let me say that, by the way. We, we, we unify, not at the expense of truth, but at the emphasis of it. And, and, and as, as we look at these basic tenets of the Christian faith, we're in agreement. And I, and I, I can yield and say you're already married. I'm, I'm not offended by that. But I also want you to know that what you're expressing is a willingness to, to incorporate and bring unity, to endeavor for it. You're doing what the church was unwilling to do. And, and you've got two families that are being blended, Greek Orthodox with Protestant, and you're doing a really good job. And, and our children want to see us endeavor in that capacity. I'm finding it funny that the people that are contending for liberty, which is God's idea, not man's idea, it's not the church, strangely, it's a, it's, there's a portion. I'd say, what do, you, what do you think, Matt, about 10, 12%? But we're seeing it from the liberal left, not the secular progressive, but the liberal left. My mother is in heaven going, I can't process this. You are friends with Bobby Kennedy Jr., lifelong Democrat. Do you know that I was the president of the Republican Women's Association? She's not doing that in heaven. She's like, go Rob. She's stoked on it. We, we find that we're all in this together and that liberty is intrinsic in the human heart. We all want it, but very few want to fight for it. We want to enjoy it, but we don't want to contend for it, nor defend it, nor be vigilant to protect it. And I shared with you before when when in Exodus 3, Moses had, had said, uh, God said to him, go set my people free. They're crying for freedom. And he contends with Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh doubles the brick output and reduces the materials. And then all the people, all the Jews, all the Hebrews, you know what they do? They want to kill Moses. People want freedom. They just, they just don't want to have to pay for it. They just don't want to struggle for it. Bob Wilson here, North Korea, excuse me, you, you fought in Korea. Very few men remained in your unit at the end of it all. You're one of the few that survived. A Marine, a, a, a non-commissioned officer, so to speak. And, and came back forgotten, forgotten war, no one talked about it. Men he fought with and loved and they died and they were left there, brought home to be buried, some buried there. You come back and you think, did I waste my time? Came back and started a company, a, an industry that built buildings that you are now enjoying, made a life for his family, American dream. He's here contending still at his age for the freedom of generations to come. Now I want you to take a look when you get a chance. Don't do it now on your phones. But just Google the Korean Peninsula at night. North Korea received all the arable land, all the farmland. South Korea received with a what, 38th parallel? Was it 38th? Was it the 38th parallel? Yeah, 38th They received all the lousy land. But at night on a satellite photo, 
the South is lit with industry and the North is dark. Their people are eating grass and sticks. And South Korea has the 11th largest gross domestic production because they have freedom. They have Christianity. Now they're struggling, mind you. They're, they, they, many of their pastors were sent to America to train in our seminaries, which destroyed the church in Korea, sadly. Fuller and ugh. But where God reigns and his word is established, nations flourish. Last thing, and then we'll read. Vodi Bakum, who's coming to speak here. If you haven't signed up for this conference, and I know it's expensive, I don't care. It will be the best money you've ever invested. This man was, was brought here, and, and he had a heart issue. He was the president of the Zambian Bible College. He is a doctor, trained, um, amazing theologian, a, a black pastor raised in an impoverished home and, and rose through the ranks to become an academic that has saved the church from the destruction of critical race theory. His book, Fault Lines, is second to none. I, I adore this man. He's reformed in his theology. I'm not. Uh, but I, I consider this man a hero. And he was teaching in the Zambia Bible College and, and doing remarkable work there. And then he, he came down with a terrible heart ailment, almost died. We had to find an emergency plane to bring him over. Everybody was struggling to try to find somebody they knew that was rich that could fly him. Got him back to the States just in time. I believe God gave him, and this is me, I'd, I can be yelled at, he's, I'd tell him to his face, but I, I honestly believe God gave him that so it would bring him home because we need him here right now. Because if you bind the strong man, then the house is plundered. Zambia won't have any of America's resources to help their Bible college there. 86 cents in every dollar in evangelism comes from the United States. You bind the strong man and take away our liberty of those 16 tortured words. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And then the Everson ruling, which turns it upside down and it's no longer freedom of religion, it's freedom from religion. And we're watching as secular progressivism is destroying our country. It's guys like Vody that are holding the line. Come to that event. You need this. I'm, I, I can't because I'm gonna be doing the men's conference for the Lieutenant Governor in North Carolina. I would be here otherwise. But I, if, you, if you need a scholarship, ask the person next to you to, no, I, we'll, we'll help you. But come, come. If you need help, let, let one of the staff members know. We'll do it. Vodi, and this is the last part, Vodi, and I've told you this before, but when he's teaching those Zambia Bible College students, he holds up a picture of where the wealth of the world is concentrated. He said, what do you discern from this? What do you surmise, students? And they, these black African students say, well, the white man is superior, apparently. He says, well, I guess you could surmise that, but let's overlay it with this map, and it's the Protestant Reformation, which is where I spent time sharing with my Greek Orthodox friends who thought that Protestantism had no validity. Uh, we do. You see, the Reformation and the Protestant work ethic and the endeavoring to look at the scriptures on civil government and self-governance, understanding where inalienable rights come from, you overlay the Protestant Reformation over that map of the world's wealth, and wherever that ideology exists, that nation flourishes. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
America represents 4% of the world's population. We have more patents, Nobel Peace Prize winners, more symphonies, more inventions, more accumulation of wealth than any nation in the history of the world. Not because we have more natural resources. South America exceeds us. Canada does too, and their, their land mass is far greater. It's because we have freedom, just like South Korea, freedom. It's worth fighting for and educating yourself to equip your children so that this liberty, which is fragile and requires vigilance, you're prepared to protect it in the days ahead. Because as you're going to see, we are facing the most heinous, well-organized effort to destroy America. It's, it's, it's a globalist movement by a man born in 1938 in Nazi Germany, Klaus Schwab. Seriously, he looks like a Bond villain. James Bond. Okay, thought that would work. They apparently didn't. <laughs> Creepy dude. He heads up the World Economic Forum. Good friends with Soros. Which is baffling to me because Soros was like, hey, let's get behind the Ukrainian people. Anything Soros is behind, I'm like, I, lo I love Ukrainians. What is going on here? You got the President of the United States who's saying we're going to sanction Russia. But he doesn't cut their oil supply, which is where they get their funding. Anytime oil's over $100 a barrel, and this is Victor Davis Hansen was pointing out, anytime it's over $100 a barrel, Putin is getting unbelievably rich. Cash, resources like you, we're funding the war that we say we're sanctioning. And we shut down the Keystone Pipeline. We don't allow the Permian uh, Basin and, and all the area. Where we have enough oil in America to last for 260 years. And, and we get to employ our people and be energy independent as we were in the last administration. They've shut that down and we're, we're funding the invasion and saying we stand in opposition to it. They're talking on both sides of their mouth here. And now we're watching as they want mass migration. You're gonna see these eight points in a minute. We're watching as they're attacking a nuclear power plant. Now can you imagine what that's gonna do environmentally and what's gonna happen with mass migration? Our missionaries in Moldova and also our missionaries in Cyprus they traveled to Moldova because they're processing what it was now over a million refugees going through Poland, Hungary, Moldova, and, and trying to help them. And we're funding it. And, and with the Bondarenkos who are now at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, Joseph Bondarenko, who's members of our congregation, and, and they have ministered to countless people, and they've got a, a nonprofit, and the church has supported that as well. We're helping the people, but this geopolitical stuff is getting kind of funky, we're gonna cover it, and you're gonna be equipped, and you're gonna be super smart at the end of the day. And so, let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. For the sake of time, I don't wanna go through the entirety of Psalm 31. I'm not gonna make you stand for long. Uh, I'll stand the whole time, because I'm a giver. And uh, <laughs> we're gonna pick up at verse three. David wrote this Psalm and, and everyone's trying to kill him. And, and he's, he's not in a position of power. He's a refugee running for his life. Saul's in command, he's in power. He's hunting him like a dog. Saul's got crack troops chasing him. And David sits down and pens these words. That's what the Psalms are. They're songs of lament and songs of joy put to music. We, we don't have the tunes, but these are, he's a songwriter. He's, he's the, psalm, the sweet psalmist of Israel, a, power, a profound musician. And, and he wrote this, and, and I want to take a look, verse 3, 4, and 5. David writes, For you, God, are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. 
Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. And then I want to read this. You don't have to turn there. 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Now for my vegan friends, don't get all uptight. A pig is a perfect animal. If you feed a pig broccoli, it turns it into bacon. <laughs> Almost finished, verse six. And this is my job today. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. I pray that happens for all of us today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, which is true. Lord, you, you are the, the logical word. You, you, you cause us to use the intellect. You're the logos. To reason. And so, God, thank you that you've given us a mind to see these things. The laws of nature and nature's God. That there's an order to the universe. That it's not happenstance or chance. It's a God who governs in the affairs of men, you're sovereign. And Lord, as we're gonna see in Psalm two at the end of this, none of this catches you by surprise, nor are you in any way, shape, or form overwhelmed. Their supposed power is nothing. They're gnats on the butt of an elephant. And so God, who holds the heavens in the span of your hand, would you instruct us, equip us, Encourage us, empower us, and bless us that we would bless you and serve you and our children and our children's children, generations to come, that we would stand upon these precepts of liberty that have been given to us by you. And I pray your blessing upon all who are present in the hearing of my voice. Lord, thank you for these men and women who love you and who love liberty, who love this nation that was conceived in that liberty and dedicated to all these things that we are now fighting for. Save us, God. Save America. Lord, as our founders declared in the order of authority, they strangely said, as Dr. Benjamin Rush said, God first, government second, then family. And Lord, I confess, I struggled with that. But then to realize that without a good government, the family cannot flourish. And without a government submissive to God, that government will never do the bidding of the wise restraints that make us free. They will weaponize that law to enslave as history has proven. So Lord, please help us to be those instruments of freedom. Bless the folks now, I pray. And thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, have a seat, please. Would you keep my friend Mark Ibrahim in prayer? He's one of the, we just hired him on staff, by the way. He's, uh, he's, 
he's going to be my travel companion because I just need that. No. He, he won't take a handout. Military. Faithful. Served our country in combat zones. A, a DEA agent getting ready to be a CIA operative, getting ready to go to Langley. He's with his family in Virginia in January, getting ready to head off to Langley. And, and you don't get to be a CIA operative, a, a, a team leader, uh, unless you've served in the special forces. But because of a connection that happened of him saving a CIA agent with his medical ability, he was given that billet and that, that direction, all set to go. It was delayed for him to go to Langley, and he was there, he got a friend from a, a call from a friend who was a war buddy that they had served together with, both decorated, both had seen combat, both PTSD. His friend said, let's go to the Capitol, and that was January 6th, and he just went to observe and saw the video, and he was just saying, these folks have to be careful. I was watching the video, it didn't do anything. His friend kept saying, show me your badge, let's go to the Capitol. He said, no, we're not going to the Capitol. Well, show me your badge. So he just opens it up like that, closes his shirt. Didn't know why he wanted that. Everything was fine. The event ends. People are being prosecuted. And he sees what's happening, and he hears the talk about FBI agents involved in it. And he knew his friend who was with him was one who was involved in it. He saw the text stream. He, he knows his buddy. He has him on record as saying it. So he went on Tucker. And, and I, I was watching that show on Tucker. I didn't know who this guy was. And I watched him, and I'm like, they're going to... Tucker's going to reveal a guy who knows that there was FBI informants there that were trying to push this insurrection. And he gets on, and the promise of divulging it, it just didn't seem like it had the punch I was looking for. And he, he looked like a deer caught in headlights. And I thought, they're coming after him. They got him. They're going to dump on him. They got to cover this up. Come to find out, when they heard he was going on Tucker... They fired him from the DEA, took away his option to go as a CIA uh, unit director, took away his weapon. He'd served this country faithfully, never done anything. And they want to put him in prison for 16 years. Nauseating. They've amassed on him a debt unbelievable to defend himself, as they've done with all these January 6th. Well, she saw him here when we had capital punishment. We've been mocked in the media. I don't care. Folks are just lemmings. You saw those two older ladies? They, they stormed, FBI agents stormed their house. What, what, is, what is happening? Cities are burned to the ground and we're going after grandmas. Well, Mark put forward um, a, a, a request for dismissal of the case and it, it seemed cut and dry. Well, that got shut down. You know, it's hard to be in his shoes. And, and I'm going to walk with him every step of the way. And he won't take a handout, so we hired him. We're going to stand with him every step of the way. Amen. Last one, uh, Dr. Simone Gold. So she pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor. And I'm like, I called her up. Simone, why did you do that? You know you're innocent. She said, yeah. And as I started to hear her defense of it, I can't blame her. She said, Rob, they were, they were gonna put me in an endless loop of legality. They were just gonna tie me up in that court. 
And she's getting ready and she's developing this and it's exciting. I can't go into great detail, but it's gonna revolutionize medicine across the country so we don't have to deal with big pharma anymore, destroying what we're doing. She said, a misdemeanor I'm not guilty of to at least accept that and move on, count the cost. You know, to every man is given a measure of faith. And, and I, who am I to judge another man's servant? I'm not in her shoes. I, I wouldn't have pled guilty. But she saw this as the right way to approach it. And I'm not going to falter. And, and she said, Rob, I want to help in any way I can with any of these other January 6th folks. So um, Simone is a treasure. And I, I said, okay, Simone, I accept your guilty plea. A misdemeanor. And, you know, they wanted to put her in jail forever. They have no case. It's just so silly what's happening. And I, I, uh, I want us all to stand strong. If you see Mark, encourage him. You know, you got a guy who's gone through combat, and there's a lot of trauma with that. And then the nation you served and put your life on the line for, and they want to put you in jail for 16 years? What does that do to the, to the human heart and mind? And, and when I saw him uh, on Tucker, I thought, he's got a rough road ahead of him. And then it was a Sunday like this between the nine and the 11 o'clock service and I got stuck in the foyer and I was trying to hide in the green room because <laughs> where two or more gathered, Rob's not there. <laughs> no, I like to greet people, but there's, you know, I, I, it, it gets to a point by the third service, I, 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 I'm like drained, I'm like, hello everybody, how was everything? <laughs> but I am in the foyer and I'm greeting folks and then Chris Burgard and Nick Searcy, the uh, directors of the a couple of movies they've done, they, they came up and say, Rob, we want you to meet Mark Ibrahim. And I go, dude, you look familiar. Were you on Tucker? He's like, yeah. And he says, I'm gonna, you know, they're, they're threatening me with 16 years in prison and I think I'm gonna, you know, plead guilty or, you know, there, there's a couple options they're trying to give him just to get something on record with all the money that they're wasting of our tax dollars. And I go, you know, you're gonna have a problem looking in the mirror as a man, because you know it's not true. And, and I prayed for him, and I don't remember what I said, and I read some scriptures, told him about King David, and I don't remember. But I gave him my numbers, I do with many people, and then I went back to everything else. And I get a text from a number that I didn't recognize, says I pled not guilty. And I didn't know who it was, I'm like, awesome, you know? Because <laughs> there's a lot of folks who are saying this on my text stream, I go, awesome. Only he realizes I thought about it, I go, whoa, whoa, that's Mark. And, and this is a guy that I was worried about. Like I, I was really, and I'd been praying for him. And, and to see him pressing into the Lord. And, and you know the Anchored series, what we're going through tonight? You know what we're reading? Job. If you're not reading it, you need to. Oldest book in the Bible. It predates Genesis. Because if you can get this concept dialed in, you are unstoppable. He was the most righteous man. And Satan says he's righteous because you bless him. Take away his family, his, his health, his wealth, he'll curse you. God says, fine, just don't kill him. Everything he has is gone. Family's dead. Business wiped out boils all over his body. He's in the town dump with a broken piece of pottery, scraping the boils to get some relief. 
Imagine that. Boy, wouldn't that question your faith? Where are you, God? Because we always think that godliness leads to prosperity. At least that's what some of our preachers with the comb-overs and the white suits tell us. (laughs) But Job, boy, that one's a tough one when you're one of those preachers. And then you get to Job, what, 13, 15? Yea, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Now, we know the end of the story. God restores it. He didn't know that was going to happen. We get to see the beginning from the end. You see, the joy for us is we're contending for something that our founders already established. We have, we, 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 we have iconic figures and historical references to show you it works. You're, you're, you're not a pioneer in this. Neither am I. We're standing on the shoulders of mighty men and women. Just dust off the old books and, and, and inspire yourself with some biographies. And you look at Job and you think, you know, God, once we get to the place to understand that life is a test of one question and everything else is a smoke and a mirror, and the question is, do you receive Jesus Christ as your savior? Yes or no? Yes, you pass. No, you have hell to pay. How can God send anyone to hell? My question is, how can he send anyone to heaven? I've seen this earth. We are vile creatures. We have billions we have wiped out. We want power. We manipulate. We abuse. We enslave. We lie. We cheat. We steal. We're all self-consumed. And then Christ takes a hold of our heart and changes a core of the world where that 4% of the population can sustain liberty and keep the shipping lanes open and send relief to the embattled and those who have suffered calamity. Why? Because God's got a hold of the psyche of a nation. Discipled nations, he judges nations. Those are ideologies, those are borders. And then we come across the machinations and the evil operations of those who would want to remove borders and enslave humanity. This World Economic Forum. This, this idea that they lay out this net, that they've, they've secretly laid it out for us. I, I, gosh, I, I would say eight years ago, maybe longer, maybe 10, Glenn Beck was talking about this and everyone thought, take him off CNN, get him out of Fox. And he lost his shows. That guy is so far out there, woo-hoo, tinfoil hat, dude. And now you're like, Where's Glenn? You think, how did they do this so quickly? Didn't happen quickly. We just weren't listening. We didn't want to. We just, we're like all people. We just want to be left alone. But they're not interested in leaving you alone. They want you to serve them. And if we're not vigilant for a nation conceived in liberty that's of the people, by the people, and for the people, then they infiltrate. And the last place left is the church, and that's to be the bastion of freedom, and that's to be the clarion call of freedom to awaken the people. So when David wrote this psalm, he was being pressured and pushed and challenged and and chased and hunted. And he turned to God, which is what all of us have done. Many of you have never been in a church in in, in your lifetime, but you've been here in the last year or so, or year and a half, because something drew you here. First of all, I'm thrilled you're here. 
I, I really am. This is open for everybody. We got a call for the trip to Israel. By the way, they're not requiring vaccines, so we're going. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. If you haven't signed up, you need to. It's going to be a great trip. Um, but I got a call from, because <laughs> we put it out on the live stream, and we've got folks all over the country that love you. And uh, we got a call, and, and the, the director of Inspired Travel says, uh, this person wants to go on the trip. Their sexuality is um, not biblical. Are you okay with that? They, they said they'll stay in a room by themselves. I go, yes. What better place for them to go than Israel? And they want to go with Christians? You bet. And I can't wait to meet them. I really could care less who comes in here. Welcome. But I'm not going to change the message to accommodate you. And I have the gift of offense, so just stick around. I'll get you. <laughs> But everybody, regardless of what you're dealing with in life, wants to be free. And I'm so excited about this trip because it's not only going to incorporate all of us and you get to know each other. Trip to Israel is one of the coolest things. We're, we're, it's lifelong friendships. But it's the, it's the most remarkable place I've ever been. I've been to over 40 countries around the world. I, I, I've been to the Mediterranean. I've been to all these really nice places. I've been to South Africa and Central... I've been to Africa and Central America and... Canada, whatever, and I've been to uh, you know Europe and Asia. The best trip I've ever taken is Israel. Israel, second best trip, Israel, third best trip, Israel. Every time I go, there's new archaeological evidence. It's fascinating. There's something spiritual. Galilee is the most peaceful place on the earth I've ever been. I just, I just want to take one day. We go there. You'll you'll see what I mean. You just do nothing, and whatever has been bothering you is lifted. I don't even know how to describe it. It's the way it was when Christ was there because they, they don't allow development on the, on the Sea of Galilee. And you're like, this is really beautiful. And, and I want us all to go. And I remember when I took uh, the, the uh, Republican National Convention leaders, and I've told you the story, but I, we were all under the awning as it began to rain, and I didn't know what to say to them. And I quoted of a Stephen Mansfield book, and I said, uh, Religiously, we don't have anything in common. We have agnostics and atheists and homosexuals and Mormons and Christians, uh, Protestants, Catholics, Jews, Reformed, conservative, you know, Orthodox. We're, we're all in here. We, we're an eclectic group, but the one thing we have in common is we're, we're Republicans. I wouldn't even say conservative Republicans. You just have the R. Some of you are rhinos, but we're all in this. Um, and, and I said, uh, the... I just want to share with you the dying words of the first Republican president, uh, his final words, not dying, he hadn't been shot yet, his final words before he was shot, he didn't speak anything. Um, he was in Ford's Theater, Abraham Lincoln, leaning into his wife, Mary Todd, holding her hand, enjoying affection, which they hadn't up to that point, because Sherman had split the South when he got down to Atlanta, and the war was just about to come to a conclusion. And he leans into his wife, watching my American cousin in Ford's Theater. And as he's leaning in, talking to her, John Wilkes Booth had propped the door open and he came through and he was approaching Lincoln's head, back of his head with a Derringer. And Lincoln leans into Mary Todd Lincoln, which she testified to and so did the curator of the Lincoln Library. He said, when this is over, meaning the war, I long to walk with you in the footsteps of our savior in the streets of Jerusalem. He wanted to go visit Israel. Boom, shot. 
and all these Republican National Convention uh, leaders, I said, you know, the, the church was founded in Ripon, Wisconsin, in a congregational church for the sole purpose of abolishing slavery. And they elected that man. Backwoods Kentucky boy who had never had a formal education, but had been drinking from the streams of liberty his whole life, and he longed to come to its source. And now you stand where he never could. And for the next 10 days, I'd encourage you to drink deeply. And I, Mike dropped it and walked away. <laughs> we baptized a grip of them. As a matter of fact, uh, Kim Reynolds, who spoke, the governor, she spoke uh, after the State of the Union address. I baptized her in the Jordan. That's Israel. It's amazing. I don't know what you're doing, but you need to go on the trip. Okay, let's get back to the deal. Sorry, it was just a plug, shameless. Klaus Schwab, born in 1938, Nazi Germany. Dad fled to Switzerland, left he and his mom there. War ended, the Nazis had devastated the nation. He retained his German citizenship and remained there, though he was educated in Switzerland, went on to get a, an engineering degree, actually had some Harvard education as well. Uh, this German technical approach to life and the absence of faith, it's one of the reasons why the postmodern movement occurred because you think that industrialization is what created Nazi Germany with this machinery that wiped out six and a half million Jews. And so they wanted to move away from it with critical race theory and the postmodern movement. And, and yet now they've kind of morphed into one and, and Klaus Schwab started the World Economic Forum and, and they have it for young rising leaders and some of the folks who've been through their training that are considered uh, acolytes. Uh, a guy, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of him, his name is uh, Trudeau. Another one is Macron in France. These are the ones that are, are masking their people, um, you know, invoking the, the highest martial law, for lack of a better description, in Canada, the, the most powerful law against truckers, not, not when they shot, not when Islamic terrorists shot Canadian soldiers at the Capitol, not when BLM was burning 37 buildings in the Capitol. No, they invoked it on truckers who were contending for medical freedom. That's World Economic Forum. That's the training that they've received. He said, the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. They call it the Great Reset. Klaus Schwab also said, all these things are gonna happen by 2030. This is the goal of the World Economic Forum. He said, one of the greatest lessons of the past five centuries in Europe and America is this. Acute crisis contribute to boosting the power of the state. Eh. It's always been the case, and there's no reason why it should be different with the COVID-19 pandemic. You don't want to let a good crisis go to waste. And so they came up with eight goals by 2030. You, you can go on their website and look at them. I'm not making this up. This, isn't, I didn't dig, this is legitimate. And these are the goals. And they're very successful at accomplishing these. And when you see these goals, you're going to now look at the, the global you're going to look at the geopolitical horizon and go, you know, none of this makes sense. And then you look at it in the light of these eight things, you'll go, okay, okay, now I get it. 
Let's look at them. Their main goal is you'll know, you'll, you'll own nothing. And you'll be happy. They'll own everything. You'll own nothing. But you'll be happy. I'm so happy. Aren't you happy? I don't have anything, but I'm so happy. <laughs> can I get another one of those drugs that make me feel nothing so I can say I'm happy? Because I'm really happy. I don't feel anything, but I'm happy. Ownership. Ownership is biblical. God goes through the Levitical law. First, there's a the moral law, then the civil law, and the civil law with abundance. Then he gives property laws because you own property. You pass it down to your children. That's, that's your ability to defend. That's your ability to create community. Money is a representation of your contribution to society. You, 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 want, you, you want those new, what, shoes, kids? I don't know what the latest is, but back when I was there, Nike Jordan, Nike Air, whatever. And they were expensive. You go, I, I really need these, Dad. No, what you need is $220. No, I need the shoes. No, no, you need $220. That's how much the shoes are. Yeah, but you'll get it for me because I need the shoes. No, you need to go get the money. I don't have any money. That's right, because you haven't contributed to society. I have. I don't need the shoes. <laughs> so you go and, and you go and you mow Widow Smith's yard, and she gives you $20. And you come back to the store, and you give it to the the storekeeper, and you say, I want the shoes. They're, they're $220. I got 20. I, how'd, where'd you get that money? I, I mowed Widow Smith's yard. That's good. Go do it 10 more times. Okay. Money is a representation of your contribution to society. It's, 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 how, we, it's how we process with one another. And wealth is created when two parties benefit. You're a farmer. I'm a baker. You grow the grain. You sell it for a price that the market will bear. I'll, I'll buy it for that. With the profit you make, you buy more fields and hire more workers. I bake the bread. And with the profit I make, I buy more ovens and hire more workers. Now, the workers can contend for a larger piece of the wealth that they also help to create. That's called a union. Government unions shouldn't exist because governments don't create wealth. They just distribute it. You tracking me? And if they unionize, then they get to elect the officials. And so when they sit at the bargaining table with the official they elected, who's left out? The taxpayer. That's why the CTA and the SEIU have really screwed up California, but I'll get into that another time. <laughs> but for wealth to be created, two parties have to benefit. That's the way God created it. You don't work, you don't eat. But ownership is critical in the Christian mindset. The other one is the U.S. won't be the world's leading superpower. They want that removed. That's why they are doing everything in their power to keep you at home not working so they can run up $30 trillion in debt. They want the dollar to be worthless. You, you have a dollar a year ago, it has 25% less buying power, probably more right now. They just keep printing it. And the more you print, the, <laughs> the less valuable it becomes. They're just creating it out of air, just divine fiat. It's Venezuela. And, and the idea is, it's the currency. Now, there's never been a reset in 100 years of the British sterling pound and the US dollar. Now, when you reset a currency, you lose 90% of your wealth, gone. Ask anyone who survived the reset of currency in any of these countries, gone. In America, it's, 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 it is the world currency. And they're doing everything in their ability to make it worthless. And so, they're raising the debt limits, they're printing money, they're creating hyperinflation, which is a, a, an attack on the poor. 
They're leveraging your children's future by increasing the debt. And they're buying nothing with it. And they're causing everyone to stay at home. And, and the, the president says he's created six and a half million jobs. No, six and a half million people weren't working. They just went back to work. We were doing fine before this nightmare. We were, we were cranking. And, and by the way, the last administration, that president, whether you like him or you hate him, it's irrelevant. I just want you to know, he was, he put a wrench in this, in this world economic global reset button. He irritated them. He irritates me with his pushing the vaccine thing. I, I don't yeah. dig that. But I have to say, I'm, I'm grateful that he stepped in for four years because we would be exponentially further down this miserable road had the American people not, had we not awakened the giant of America and got industry rolling. You remember that? I mean, it was not that long ago. It's like, wow, gas is cheap. Now it's like, what, I don't know, $600 a gallon? I, I can't quite. <laughs> How much did you make this week? Okay, put it in there, we'll give you a gallon. Unbelievable how expensive it is. And it's five now. It's going to be eight shortly. And we have the, the fuel resources. We had it. We were exporting. We were exporting oil. Now we're bringing it in from Russia, funding a war in the Ukraine. You don't know this? You should. And why is it that they won't cut off that and go back to our oil? Well, because it's all tied in with this global reset. I'll get to it in a moment. And then this is how they want the U.S. not to be a world-leading superpower. Uh, here's this. You won't die waiting for an organ that we made by 3D printers. Or better yet, we'll just harvest them from children. You don't make organs out of 3D printers. This is one I just... I, I'm, I'm so opposed to the reset for this next one. <laughs> You'll eat much less meat. Meat will be an occasional treat, not a staple for the good of the environment and our health. Because they... You know, it's, it's Greta Thunberg, you know, cows flatulate, and global warming. Now, cl cows do flatulate. I mean, I drove through Corona, and it was like, you know, the, the Corona flies. It's just, you know, you go up the I-5 when you go by King, King. It's like Cowschwitz. It's just all these things. That probably, that probably too soon, sorry. But future in and out burgers right there. Just, and for all you vegans and you animal lovers, I, I, I have no problem with that. But uh, as a Christian, let, let's, let's put this in order here. The secular progressive considers nature and animals equal to man, if not greater. We're subservient to that. I'm sorry. They're not creating the image of God. You and I are. He said that we are to have dominion. That's the order of it. You put cows in charge, we're all in trouble. Right? And by the way, cows don't have a problem figuring out male and female. I just, uh, neither. Maybe they should be in charge. But 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, which we just read just a short time ago, speaking hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. You know, somehow you, you have to make it a moral cause that we're not allowed to eat meat. This is, this is one thing that's interesting to me. I, I, I you know, family members are, are vegans, uh, I'm not dumping on them. And, and actually, the family members that are vegan, they don't dump on me either. We, we just get along. 
We endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and bond of peace. And, and they may think I'm not healthy. I think this is healthy. <laughs> I, I, you know. <laughs> Rubenesque. Look it up. I, I do know this. When I see them making their meals, they try to create meals that taste like meat. Why? Why would you want it to taste like something you shouldn't eat? Let's move on. Look, too much of anything's not good, as you can see. Every meal for me comes with Cytolipitor. No, I'm kidding. I, I, I'm not that way. I take somewhat good care of myself. But meat is delicious, like bacon. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be an Orthodox Jew just because of bacon. I'd give, I just can't do it. Simon the Tanner, when we get to Israel and I take you to Simon the Tanner's house, that's where bacon became legal. I, 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 I love that place. We have to stop for a moment, just a moment of silence, thanking God. It's, Sorry, let's move on. I'm actually talking. A billion people would be displaced by climate change. You know what is really good for climate change? A nuclear reactor that's, uh, yeah, they, climate change is happening all the time, but displacing people, and, and they tried to do this to control the masses through this, and they couldn't do it through critical race theory and pitting us against each other by socioeconomic class. They've tried everything they can to take away our individuality, and so instead they created an enemy we can't see, a virus, and then they perpetrated fear upon us all. And now we're waking up going, you know what? I'm not taking another stinking injection you're ever offering. You lied. You devastated our what? Where? And that's why you can't find him right now. It's like, where's Waldo? Where's Fauci? <laughs> Polluters will have to pay to uh, uh, have to pay to emit carbon dioxide. There'll be a global price on carbon. All that is is to get us away from fossil fuels. Why fossil fuels? You need food, housing, and fuel. Basic necessities of a family. We never thought about that because we turn on a light. We don't know the process to make these lights on. Well, there's a generator happening somewhere that's run by fossil fuels that's bringing the light to where you are. Oh, I drive an electric car. Yeah, you plug it into a socket that's creating fossil fuels to put it in there so you can get that NICAD battery to rot in a, yeah. Fossil fuels are cheap and we want to get as much fuel to the impoverished to lift them out of poverty as best we can. They want to stifle that. And windmills, it'll knock birds out of the sky. And, and, and driving through the, the freeway to Vegas and saw that solar farm and birds are just fried when they go in there. No bees left. In it. it looks like, you know, the magnifying glass when you do an anthill and you burn them to death. That's what that thing is. I've flown over in an airplane. I'm like, somebody's going to die. Just get some more oil. We've figured out ways to make it clean and, and natural gas burns so clean. But we gotta take away cheap fuel to cause us to be enslaved. Yeah, nuclear is the cheapest and the cleanest. Stay away from that, I guess. And they wanna make fossil fuels history. Uh, and then the idea is they want us to look at something to go to Mars because they're gonna destroy this place. 
science will have worked to keep us healthy in space. And then this last one, and I'll focus on it because I'm running out of time. Western values will have been tested to the breaking point. Checks and balances that underpin our democracy must not be forgotten. Western values will be tested to the point of breaking. When they say Western values, you know what they're saying? Judeo-Christian values. Just like I talked about Vody Bauckham. The Protestant Reformation brought the wealth creation. Take them away. The, the Protestant work ethic. The moral law. The Ten Commandments. The wise restraints that make men free. Critical race theory says there's no absolute truth. And, and the Enlightenment thinkers and the scientific method are white man's conscripts to keep the black man down. That's not true. The ideology works for anyone regardless of an immutable trait of your melanin content. But they want to remove Christianity. This is a battle between good and evil. God comes to set us free. They want to enslave you. And they have their acolytes. And now when they start killing you with myocarditis and pericarditis and you start to put, connect the dots, you're like, this thing's killing people and they're part of it. They just gaslight you and they throw out their new narratives. Climate change may cause increased rates of heart defects in babies. No, that shot did. Expert warns that shoveling snow can be deadly to discover underlying cardiovascular conditions as straining the heart. Physical activity could cause sudden death. Over 100 uh, soccer players, FIFA, are dead. Coincidence. They're going to keep doing this, and the one thing they can't stop is the awakening of God's people. And it's happening all across this country, and they're pushing back. And you guys have been instrumental in that. And I, I, I told Charlie, let's make a shirt. Be a threat to the Great Reset. <laughs> Last one, we'll take communion. The psalmist says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us and he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision and then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Like we said, we've read the end of the book. God wins. I wanna be on his side. I wanna fight for liberty. The courage comes from knowing who you are. You're a child of the king. You have been redeemed and you've been purchased with the blood of Christ. There's no weapon fashioned against you will stand. No man took the Lord's life. He willingly laid it down for you. Meekness is strength under control, a bit in a horse's mouth that controls a huge beast by the simple moving of the master's hand. And he submitted to the father and willingly died in your place and in mine. His body was beaten and his blood was shed and the reason why his blood had to be shed is because it was the only blood in a human body that was sinless unlike yours and mine and blood must be shed for the remission of sin and when we take this communion we take it in remembrance of him because our salvation was his doing not ours we receive it by grace through faith he accomplished it by the via dolorosa the way of pain and the cross upon which he bled and died and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he had you on his mind when he breathed his last as he uttered the personal name of God. We enter this world inhaling, speaking God's name and exhaling when we leave. 
And God is speaking to you. He said, come to me, oh, you were burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. You're tired. You're scared. And God says, trust me. I laugh at what they seek to do. I've got you. Put yourself in Mark Ibrahim's shoes. He thought it was going to go one way, and just like Job, it went the other. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. David wrote these Psalms in the most critical moment of his life, and he understood the salvation of God that he will deliver you. The first step in freedom is being set free from your own sin by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Trust him. Receive him as your savior. And that's why we take communion, the longest running family meal, the bread and the cup. It was a Passover meal. The Jews were taken from slavery to freedom. The Passover, the angel of death passed over the homes that were covered in the blood of the lamb. Death doesn't await you as a Christian. You don't die you begin to truly live. And on this earth, we don't fear death. And now they can't take anything from us because we've already given it. And you're fearless and unstoppable. And that's that cup in your hand. So let's take communion. Lord, we thank you for this day of communion. We thank you for this gift of salvation. God, I pray that you would bless each and every person present as we do this in remembrance of you, your body broken, as you broke it, you said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. That was the night you were to be betrayed, but you still did it. And then you held up the cup and you said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for the remission of your sins. You've been forgiven. You forget what's behind you, strive for what is ahead. You're a new creature in Christ. You've been sanctified, justified. And you are mine and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you've been forgiven. God, you did that and we honor you this day as we take this communion. Bless your people and thank you, Lord, for being our savior. We do this in remembrance and in honor of you in Jesus' name, amen. We'll go ahead and take communion because I went so long. Don't think I'm not a Christian because I'm not taking communion. I do it with my family in the service. <laughs> Your family, but I mean my. Yeah. Would you stand with me when you're finished? I rambled a lot but I think you understand that God has appointed you for such a time as this. You're amazing people. You're children of the king. You have no fear. You know the truth. And now, that one question test, go educate everyone else on how to pass it because you've already got an A. And I just have to say, what a blessing it is to pastor a fellowship of such a remarkable people. May God keep you. May God bless you. May God allow your families to flourish and may you be fruitful in the land of which you will declare freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you guys.